Hello and welcome to another episode of the Project Purple Podcast. I'm Dino Varelli, founder and CEO of Project Purple. And today we're back in the podcast studio and I've got a special guest today for our audience coming all the way via Zoom from Austin, Texas. I've got Adriana Aldean. Adriana, thank you for joining us here on the Project Purple Podcast. Thank you very much, Dino. I am happy to be here with you today. Well, I'm excited to have the opportunity to help share your journey. Uh, full disclosure, we met on social media. Um, you know, one piece that I always say, you know, social media today is, is you know, if you read the news, can be a very toxic place. But for us here at Project Purple, it's become very positive. It's been a great place uh, community-wise to connect with survivors and families. And, and it's always great to meet people from around the world, quite frankly, that are so passionate and so willing to help us raise awareness, but also share their journeys with pancreatic cancer. So thank you for joining us today. Thank you. So as I said, before we hit record, the first segment of our podcast is always the guest opportunity to kind of share their background and their journey with pancreatic cancer. So as I always say, uh, this is your opportunity. I'm gonna hand the mic over to you here in a second, but you can stay as high level as you want. You can go as far back as you want. And as always, I am taking notes. So I may jump in from time to time to kind of ask you a question or two. And with that, the mic is yours. Thank you very much. Well, as you say, my name is Adriana Aldean. It spells A-V-R-Y-A-N-A-A-L-D-E-E-N. Um, I... Um, as you can hear already, I have an accent. So I was born and reared in Mexico and I came to the United States in the late 80s to go to college, um, have my life. Um, I always have been uh, a woman who has been healthy on her uh, habits of nutrition and exercise. I'm not gonna say that I am the most Olympic person but I always keep myself fit and healthy. And, um, uh, have already uh, a life growing, um, growing children, young adults, um, my kids. And um, it was actually um, one of the situations that I have done um, on my job journey is for, me, for many, many years, the, the people, especially the Spanish speaking audiences have known me as a, as a public policy and, and political commentator in the most well-known um, TV stations like Univision, Telemundo, CNN, Spanish, and others, um, and some English-speaking uh, uh, stations as well. But I have an active life of work. I always have worked hard. I also served in Christian ministry for many years. And, um, and I took also some supplements, some healthy supplements, but never um, recall to have any type of illness. And uh, as all of you, um, during the pandemic, I had to be recluded in my home. I was actually hosting um, a TV show back back then. And I was doing like many people were doing, just transmitting from their home via Zoom, just like we're doing right now, but with image. And, um, and one day I start feeling um, back problems. I start feeling a lower back, a uh, little pain on on the lower part of my back. And I really thought that it was maybe I did not sleep well the night before, or I had been probably doing more, much more exercise that I should be doing because I was, uh, in order to exercise, I live in a high rise. 
So I was using the stairs instead instead of the elevator. So I was trying to to blame my pain to other circumstances. Um, I call my doctor and I have a, a Zoom uh, a consultation with her, and um, we we decide to 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 try um, to to find out what was the issue. Um, interestingly, I need to say I am a middle class, uh, self-employed tax paying American. So my husband, um, he's a healthcare attorney and we both were self-employed. We have an, an insurance that is called concierge in insurance. You know, um, as American citizens um, um, have the choice what they wanted for their healthcare. That's what we have chosen. Long ago, I used to have Blue Cross Blue Shield and I have canceled that insurance. Um, we both thought, we just could not afford anymore that um, that insurance pad. In the meanwhile, I called my doctor, the doctor ordered an MRI, and she immediately, the afternoon that I had the MRI, uh, called my husband and I if we could go to her office. And we were during the pandemic time. So um, I said, why you don't tell us over the phone? I told the nurse, can the doctor tell us over the phone? You know, this is COVID-19 and it's in, um, we're talking the middle of September of 2020. And um, and here we are. And she said, no, you need to come in. And that's when when my husband and I uh, went in to her office. And she tells me that they found um, a tumor in the pancreas and that it seems to be uh, pancreatic cancer. I was really very shocked. I have to be honest. Um, I knew that we have a pancreas. I didn't have any idea what the pancreas was for in my body. What was the function? All I know is like um, the first question was, what are my odds of living? And my doctor, she's very sweet. Uh, she looked at me and she said, no too many. They are no high. And I said, what is the chance of survival? And she said, very, very low. Uh, I didn't know that pancreatic cancer was in the low digits. Um, the number that it, I was giving them was 8.2, but we have heard that, it, and you probably know better than me, Dino, it can be 8.2 to, to 10%. Of course, we didn't know until they did um, endoscopy and they took a sample in order for, to know uh, with certainty that this is, uh, this is really cancer and this is also which stage is. So when that happened, when that happened, um, the very first uh, first thing is, um, of course, we cry, my husband and I, and, and I call um, my son, uh, Nathan. Um, I need to tell him uh, he lives in Dallas. I have another son who lives in Japan. And um, I said, well, we need to find out about this and the, and the cost of all of this. Immediately, the money issue came into our, our mind. Because we know, as I mentioned to you, um, we we have only concierge um, insurance, and we do not have the qualifications to qualify for Medicare because you have to have certain income, and we have more than that, and we do not have that qualification. But we are not wealthy enough to afford this. I called one of my friends, uh, uh, which is a state representative of Texas, Tom Parker, who. Um, uh, he contacted me and he said that if I wanted to get in the MD Anderson in Houston, that he can put me in contact directly. Uh, people call me. I tried to talk with MD Anderson. They wanted um, 
immediately $6,000 to put the food on the door. And, um, and we start calculating the expenses. And as I mentioned to you, my husband is a healthcare attorney. He knows what are the costs of things. And we immediately saw in front of us bankruptcy. Um, just uh, what are we going to do? This is this is going to be uh, a deal. But I am, besides being an American citizen, I'm also a Mexican citizen. And I happen to have a, a cousin of mine who is a, a top-notch um, doctor in surgeon in Mexico City. And I immediately, the, the, the option that came to me was the Instituto de Nutrición, which is the equivalent of the MD Anderson in Latin America, the top-notch hospital in Mexico and also in, in Latin America in regards to these issues. But it was pandemic. So I, I called him, my cousin Miguel, and he immediately said, um, you know what, Adriana, um, we're going to try to to see if you get in because uh, there is almost all the hospital, like all the hospitals in the world were filled with the COVID patients. And they were only, then you have to qualify. You have to apply and do all the qualifications. I did everything, you know, by the law, I apply uh, what to do. And they immediately took me and um, they say, yes, we will, because of my, it was not because I'm the cousin of, it was because of my type of, when they saw the images that I sent, uh, they did an, an endoscopy. Immediately, we flew to Mexico. They they did it, and they say uh, it's a stage three. It's a stage three. A tumor um, is um, is two point nine centimeters by more or less three point nine centimeters uh, big. What they can see, and is entangled to the two main arteries in your body: uh, the um, superior mesenteric and the other vein that is there, which they explained to me. It is in the body and tail of the pancreas and entangled to the veins in a way, when I use the word entangled, is that it's not next to, it is entangled, like roots come inside of the ground. The, that's the way that the tumor was entangled into my veins. And they say is a resectable, which means you, you don't have a chance to have surgery for this. Everybody knows, and you probably have talked in your show about the Whipple surgery, the distal pancreatotomy surgery. I was not a candidate for that because it was entangled in that manner. So um, they immediately said, um, this is what we uh, uh, propose to you, which is the palliative care with the chemotherapy. And um, the Chemotherapy that we all know is fulfidinox, which is very aggressive, one of the most aggressive and expensive chemotherapies. We start looking at prices in, in chemotherapies and we just were on out to know uh, how expensive it was uh, to get all these. Uh, so immediately they, they, they did that uh, surgery, which was the endoscopy. Next day, I was already in the surgeon again to put my catheter port in the upper part of my body. And the next day after they put my catheter port, I was already receiving my first fulfurinox chemotherapy. That quickly, can you believe it, Dino? I don't know with other patients, but it was just like boom, boom, boom. Uh, is stage three, we need to do, do you accept? Yes, uh, let's do whatever we need to do. They do that little surgery where they put these catheter ports so I can receive. They explain to me, you need to have it because you are gonna be receiving a lot of these uh, chemicals. And 
so I went and, you know, the Fulferinox takes uh, a whole day to receive. Plus, uh, for those people who who have the catheter port, they, they come home with a little bulb full of uh, chemicals for another two days. And after the third day, they disconnect you from from that. So it takes actually three days. The doctors explained to me, and I don't know how much you can talk about that, but when Fulferinox is is in the body, uh, <clears throat> the way that they apply it in hospitals that they are more poor or with less um, technology, or I don't know, they they actually take you in the hospital the three days on a row. That's what they explained to me. So you have to be three days there while you are receiving the medicine. But if you have the catheter port and you take that infusion, you take it to your home for those two days. And of course, it was a very um, a very aggressive chemo. Um, all the side effects, I have them all, of course. Uh, the falling of the hair is the least of the problems. We know that. It's just all the fatigue, all the all the chemical in your body, how you feel your nails, how you become uh, all the sensitive parts of your body where you have sensitive skin is affected. And they told me that the average person uh, can only handle eight rounds of fulferinox. That's what they told me. But they tried some of them to handle 12. And I have heard from other patients that they have actually handled more than that. Um, but so I start the road right there at, um, uh, in September, at the end of September of 2020. And I insisted that I wanted to know how much how many months I have. The doctors were reluctant in telling me and you know, doctors don't necessarily want to tell. Uh, I insisted, I, I, I also have an oncologist uh, friend of ours here in the United States who was following carefully everything. And the reason that he didn't took care of me was not like because he could not give me his services for free. It's because he could give them for free, but he could not cover all the chemotherapy and all the labs and all the MRIs and all the CAT scans and PET scans and everything. That is a lot of money. It's very costly. But he was following everything and I insisted and he said the realistic uh, answer that he had for me and his, his wife is a very good friend of mine. He said, it's like you have around six months to leave. And so I started preparing at the same time that I was fighting for my life. I have to be very honest. I was also preparing to die. And um, I am a Christian. I have a faith. Um, my faith is in Christ. And I um, I talked with God and I said, well, um, I don't want to die. That's my desire. But if this is what you have for me, I have to be ready. So I have one son in Japan. He did what he had to do because he had to follow protocol because of the pandemic in Japan. And he works for the Japanese government in Japan as a teacher. And it, in order for him to get a permit to come and see me, he came to see me. And, and you need to know, I live in Texas, but I, I have flew to Mexico to take care of me, uh, Mexico City. So here I am in Mexico City because of the high cost of healthcare in America and of the uh, very difficult uh, situation for uh, middle-class um, uh, middle Americans. So I have, to, I have to emphasize in this, Dino, because um, so many people say, why you didn't took it? Like I have a person, a friend of mine who, who, who was actually even not documented, who was receiving help from the government of the United States. 
And I say, I don't, I do not qualify. And as she said, she don't even have documents to live in the United States. And she was receiving help from the American government. And I said to her, you see, this is interesting. I love you very much. And I'm glad that you are being taken care of. But my husband and I are the ones who are paying the taxes and I cannot receive one single benefit because I don't qualify because of our income. But even with our income, we just cannot afford these. Uh, there were thousands and thousands of dollars. And I'm talking in Mexico, the the amount of money that I was spending was close to $5,000 a month. But the same thing, you know, and your other patients know that it will cost you from your pocket in the United States, $16,000, the same type of treatment a month per month. So so I I started doing this in Mexico and, and I live in, in Mexico. I have a house in Puebla where I am from, Puebla, Puebla, which is two and a half hours from Mexico City. So a lot was commuting from Puebla to Mexico City. And I was doing all of this during um, from September up to January of 2021, um, receiving all the fulfilling uh, notes. Uh, when, when your when you're white cells, and I don't know how to explain it because I'm not a medical doctor, but when your white cells go down because of the chemotherapy treatment, when that happens, um, you you cannot take fulfilling They stop it in that moment. They say, you need to recover and you need to take these vaccines. That vaccine is called filgrastrin. You probably have heard about it. Filgrastrin costs in the United States an average of $359 per vaccine. In Mexico, I could have it for $230 each. Well, let me tell you, I needed 10 of those a month, 10 of those vaccines to, to lift me up. So I was taking that besides of the chemo. Um, by the way, in November, um, I was not feeling well one day. No, I just felt a little headache, a little fever. And I told them, and every time that you take the, the chemotherapy, they do the blood test. But when you tell them you have fever and a little headache, so they say, what well, I mean, I stop is, you know, then we need to do a sample and I have COVID. So during my cancer, I got COVID-19 in November, but didn't have any, I have to say, I'm very grateful. I didn't have any type of breathing problems or I just have those symptoms that I explained to you, but I was positive. And so I could not take the, the, the fulfilling ox. So I did the Fulfirinox, uh, and at number eight, they stop it. And they say, um, you have, um, we're going to stop it right here. And and then uh, I took four more. So I took a, a, a total of the 12. They, they put me to rest for one month. Then I took again. And then they said, um, um, we're going to try um, then the radio radiotherapy and uh, the other oral chemotherapy, but I need to to give a little break right here, parentheses, okay? Because you uh, you all hear alternatives all the time. People come and give you all the alternatives in the world because they want you to be okay. So I know that everybody has good intentions, but they offer me the the black scorpion from Cuba, the um, the black bird from Mexico, the serpent uh, peels, um, everything was offered to me. The plant here, um, the the CBD, they try everything. But I heard about the Joe Tippins 
protocol that you probably have heard about the Joe Tippins protocol, which is Fembendazole, which is the Panacore. And I heard from people that I respect because one was a medical doctor and another a nurse. And I was a little bit hesitant about it, but my husband and I talked with other people that were taking this uh, Fembendazole. Um, and I decided I want to give it a try with curcumin, which is a natural, you know, curcumin and with milk thistle to protect my liver. And in November of <clears throat> 1920, I also start taking that alongside with the chemotherapy. So I have to say it just because I it took that. I continue. And then in March, they decide to start the, the radiotherapy, 28 rounds of radiotherapy with the oral chemotherapy. And I continue taking also the alternative. And I did all my rounds. That chemotherapy, that radiotherapy was totally different because this chemotherapy did not allow me to walk anymore. My feet were hurting so much. And, and, and just to explain to the audience who have experienced this type of chemo, the side effects on some chemotherapies are different, but this specific one, um, the oral uh, chemo that I was taking um, have every single sensitive skin in my body in the most sensitive way, my fingers, my feet, uh, on uh, my lips, and every, every place that you can think of is hurting very much and in pain and swallow. So I, I was giving massages in, in my body. I felt all this. Uh, I'm, I'm planning also my funeral. I have to say that I did uh, plan my memorial service by Zoom, inviting people to participate in, because I, I'm thinking I'm going to face my, my Lord very soon. Um, I'm very good friends with the former treasurer of the United States, Rosario Marin. She was the first um, immigrant who was ever appointed by uh, a president, in this case, George uh, W. Bush, appointed Rosario Marin, a Mexican-American just like me, an immigrant who came to the United States, became an American to serve her country. She became the 43th treasurer. And I asked her, she came to visit me, and I asked her to be the MC for my for my funeral and she agreed. I did a message of unity. To me, it was very important. What legacy I'm gonna leave behind by the message and the people who knew me because I was involved in politics and, and seeing and being a witness of the most uh, divisive elections in the history of America. And people still were calling me to work and like that. I wanted to leave a message of unity. So I invited to participate in my funeral. Uh, people in the right, people in the left, people independent, um, people who are Catholic, people who are evangelical, and people who are agnostic. I invite all types of people because I wanted to have a group of people just to focus in on unity and the fact that it's very important to be with your family and to, and to spend your time wisely with your family and stop the divisions because I was seeing so many divisions within families because of politics or because of religion. And I didn't want to see that. And for me, that was important um, to, to leave. So I prepared for all that. And um, the time passed, the, 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 all, all the radiotherapy, uh, that chemotherapy, and they gave me one month to detox because you have to detox again uh, before they do the next MRI. So when they do the next MRI, which was in June, around June the 6th, um, and then they 
they come with the results, they show that the tumor has shrunk 50% and that I actually qualify for the surgery. And we just could not believe it. And the surgeon, which is a very famous surgeon in Mexico, um, Carlos Chan, called uh, for an appointment. We went with him. Um, he speaks fluently English as well. My husband doesn't speak Spanish. We were there with him and he explained exactly what they will do to me. It will be instead of called the Whipple surgery because the Whipple involves the head of the pancreas. For pancreatic cancer, you have the head, the body, and the tail. In my case, I was affected in the body and in the tail. So when it's on the head, it's, it's called a Whipple surgery. There is, there is another surgery that is called partial Whipple. But for my surgery, who takes the body and the tail, it's a distal pancreatotomy slash spleen splint that they remove the spleen as well. So he explained the whole thing. He said, I'm going to go in. If for some reason I see that the tumor that is entangled is still fresh and is in no way I cannot remove, I just will close you. I, there is nothing I can do, but I think we can go ahead and get it. So they did it. The surgery lasted about seven hours on June the, the 14, June 14 of 2021. And they remove um, body and tail, the spleen, and the tumor. Uh, he very carefully detached it, and it was already petrified, like a fibroid type of thing. It went to pathology, and when the results came out, they said that that they were dead, and and they diagnosed me after again other MRIs as NED, which that term of NED and ED is not evidence of disease. Um, they explained to me, like I explained to other patients, that I have to be under medical surveillance for the rest of my life. But for the next five years, I will need to be every three months for the regular labs and regular um, MRIs. And I still have the catheter. They, the oncologists do not want to remove it yet because I may have to have more chemotherapy. And the catheters um, uh, can stay in your body for up to five years. Um, sometimes they come in, they remove the one that it was and they put a new one or sometimes they just remove it. So I still have the catheter because that uh, the catheter has to be clean. Um, Typically, people did it every month, but because of COVID, I find out that in the hospital, they just do it every three months. So now I go every three months to be clean. But anyway, um, so that was what happened. Uh, I feel I feel um, like if I don't know, oh, I have to take enzymes, Creon, for the rest of my life as well, for every single snack of food that I take, because otherwise my digestive system is not the same. And these enzymes replace the function of the pancreas. I personally told uh, God during my, my journey, I prayed to God and, and I said, God, if you help me to survive this, I want to do two things. I want to um, be able to serve my community, which is the Latino community in any way, shape or form that I can. And also to make awareness of pancreatic cancer, because I realized that pancreatic cancer is very very often overlooked 
um, when there are other cancers that they are important as well, but they, the people receive more attention for breast cancer or or uh, the prostate cancer for males and, and pancreatic cancer ideas. So many people really doing research and involved in making this awareness. So that's what I said. Uh, during this time, people can say what, what exactly was that quote unquote uh, cure me because it's not a cure, but what helped me to, to be a survivor. Um, so as I mentioned before, 8.2% of the people who survive stage three, uh, stage three pancreatic cancer like mine are survivors. And from my type of surgery, um, only 23% survive after five years. And, and I have been surviving six months. So I don't know what is my future right now, but that's what it happens with my surgery. Um, so I said, um, I took the chemotherapy. I did the radiotherapy. I did the oral chemotherapy as well. I did the alternative of the Joe Tippens protocol, and I uh, have certainly a lot of prayers and a lot of good care, a lot of uh, good health. I eat healthy, as I mentioned. And besides that, uh, I think that God used everything together. That's what I said. I have people who are praying every day for me. One of them is Rafael Cruz, who is, is a pastor. Uh, he happens to be the pastor of Texas Senator Ted Cruz. But Rafael Cruz and I have a long, long um friendship for many years and he was very faithful in praying for me every day as and, and many other people uh, the care that my mother gave me my brother my sister were very close to me um, my brother lives in Dallas and he flew to Mexico to take care of me my son lives in Dallas he flew my husband was flying every every um, other week to be with me um, because when you are uh, when you have this type of cancer and other cancers, but when you have this type of cancer, it affects you incredible, not only in your person, but your family is affected um, and financially affects everybody and emotionally and also unites families. And in this case, I saw the union, um, the unity of my family and the love that they had, even though we disagree on some issues, the families have to be together and I am very appreciative of my my mother, my sister Betty, my brother Ernesto, my son Nathan and Samuel, my niece Maria Jose, who also uh, let me use her her home for, for a while when I was there, and many uncles and aunts. And, and during all this process, I have to say also that my first cousin that I grew up with, Ricardo Kalin, he passed away from uh, cancer in the liver. But um, it was very emotional. We spent a lot of time talking and I, I saw him dying during that time uh, back in February of 2021. So I went through all that during that year. I'm back in Austin. I'm back working. I work for a nonprofit now. And that's what I am doing now. So I think I try to wrap it up. I took two pages of notes there. I just, uh, wow. it, it's just really, so first of all, that is a, that's a pretty amazing story. Um, I, I, you know, we always try to do research on all our guests. And I know you sent me over your bio, um, which gives your background, but then to hear, you know, what you've gone through. So I, I've got a bunch of questions here. So I'm going to, I'm going to jump into the first one. So you guys knew pretty quick that pricing was going to, you guys were going to get basically outpriced here in the United States. So that, that was yes. pretty apparent right away. Um, 
and and I do want to. I mean, it, it's so fascinating to me. And I know we we. I mean, we have a patient financial aid program here, and and we try to assist on everyday living expenses. And I've seen bills and bills and bills. And you know, I I can go back to my own experience with my dad. I remember seeing the bills. I mean, we were fortunate. You know, uh, middle class family. My dad had a pension. He still had. Uh, he had retirement. He was still covered. My, him and my mom were still covered under his union because he was a union worker for 32 years uh, under the insurance plan of the union. Which, um, and then he was able because he was old enough uh, to qualify for Medicaid. So they had you know union insurance and then Medicaid. But then there were things that insurance doesn't pay for, right? So it's just fascinating. Your pivot, and I know that's kind of like the term of like the COVID pandemic was this pivot term, right? Your pivot was so quick to realize, uh, you know, hey, we, we've got to do these things. Where did that come from? Was that something that you just knew because, you know, your husband's a healthcare attorney or was it something like, hey, like I've got family down there. I've, I've got this opportunity where I'm a Mexican citizen still that I can go and, and, and there are world-class centers throughout the world, right? And Mexico's one of them, right? Like there, and, and that's a, the fascinating thing with pancreatic cancer, you know, I've been blessed to, to meet and we've done some research with centers from around the world. So um, that's not to say that, um, I, I, you know, you can't go to Mexico and get world-class care just like you would at, like you said, at MD Anderson, right? Yeah. Well, what happened, and, and I do trust the doctors. I am. I, I come from a family of many medical doctors and in, in, in all areas. Yes, my husband is a healthcare attorney, and that was something immediate. Uh, another thing is, okay, so we are in our 50s, both of us, my husband and I, second marriage, and uh, we have six kids between both of us. Uh, six kids, uh, four are his, two are mine, um, who are young adults, um, still paying college debts. Uh, and, and we just were thinking about, wait, wait a minute, um, you know, we're just restarting our lives. Um, and, 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 you know, for us, our, our marriage is still young. And, and we are thinking uh, we are uninsured. I don't qualify for Medicaid. It's interesting because I have to be honest with you, Dino, there were few people who came to me who suggest me to go ahead and get a divorce. Just divorce your husband because if you divorce, you will qualify for the Medicare just to get the benefit. And I said, wait a minute. I love my husband. He loves me. We're married. Well, I'm not going to yeah. do that uh, because only the people who have less will qualify. But we are not rich enough to afford this when we saw how much money will become and we said, we need to do that. And another thing that I um, uh, want to mention is the fact that um, there were people who needed to say, "How can? what can we do to help you with a little bit? So there were people who were doing fundraisers and it took a while for my husband and I to agree to do a GoFund account and to do help because we kind of felt like, like, you know, a little bit, if you want to say it, a little bit embarrassed that people will give to us for this because, uh, and, and we cannot explain any. Um, so, um, which is another story to also to say that I have lost my social security credits due to my former marriage, which is another situation um, to explain um, on, on regards to that. But the point was that that we are on our own. What we're gonna do? People wanted to give and different amounts. My husband agreed only if he was not part of that account. So we did a medical account separated mm -hmm. from from our household account. One for Adriana Aldin medical account, and my son Nathan and I are the only two people that they are in that account. 
And we left very clear, this is only for medical related expenses in any way, shape or form will be mixed with the Aldine household. So that way, if my husband wanted to take me in a restaurant to eat dinner when I was feeling a little bit okay, or even with COVID or something, people will not misunderstood because that happens sometimes, you know, when people uh, are raising money, you you don't want in any way to be any conflict. So that's what we did. And we agree. And we raised also some money to be able. Uh, I can tell you my expenses um, and being close to $100,000 in 11 months in Mexico. The same expenses with the calculations that we know, as I mentioned to you, because we know the costs, same medicine, same same machine that I did my radiotherapy, the top-notch radiotherapy machine in the world is the one that they have in the Institute of Nutrition. Same everything. But the same thing in MD Anderson will have cost me over $600,000 for all, all that treatment that I have received. So, so both sides are a lot of money because I don't have $100,000 from the pocket in 11 months just to give to my medical treatment. And then the expenses continue for people who are in it because you need to go and continue to have your MRIs. You need uh, uh, your your blood test. You need to still have you know, washing your port, your uh, oncologist and, 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 and surgeon visits. You still have those expenses every three months. Plus every month you have to take your enzymes. I take over $800 a month just on enzymes to replace the function of my pancreas. So things like that um, happen and, and it's a very expensive disease. And I say many times people uh, who die of cancer um, and cannot help themselves, number one reason is because they don't have money to afford this uh, awful disease. It's, it's very expensive, every, every single thing that is around cancer. It's fascinating, you know, um... There's been so much data in the last, I feel, six months that has come out, you know, and, and if you look at, I, I just pulled one up, you know, and this is a little bit dated, but still relevant. Uh, as of 2019, uh, out-of-pocket out of pocket costs for cancer treatment, and this is all cancers, not just pancreatic cancer, was 16.22 billion. Yes. Insane, right? And, um, you know, American Cancer Society, which is the larger cancer, largest cancer society, large, largest cancer nonprofit organization in the country, um, you know, they, they just put out uh, the rising cost of cancer. And in 2015, it was 182 billion. Uh, 2020, it was 200 billion. By 2025, it'll be 222 billion. And by 2030, it'll be 245 billion. And that's just the, the overall cost. That doesn't include out of pocket, but naturally as those costs, as we can see here projected in 15 years, it's almost, uh, well, it's like 120,000, no, 160,000, 160 billion increase. Exponentially, that's the same, you know, we could say that the same increase can potentially happen for out-of-pocket costs, right? And I've always said, I was in the financial services business before I got into this business. And I remember meeting with clients back then and, and everyone was worried. And this is back in the early 2000s, going into like even 2010, you know, people were so worried about social security going away. You know, and that was, wasn't that like a big buzz for such a long, and it still becomes a big buzz, right? Because some people rely solely on social security. But I think the bigger Pandora's box is healthcare, right? It, yes. It, it's this healthcare 
problem that we have here in the United States. Um, as you mentioned, you know, you can go to Mexico, you get much, the same same exact care that you would get at a major cancer hospital here in the United States, but pay a fraction of the cost. And why is that? I, I think part is because of the insurances that the doctors have to purchase to cover themselves from people suing them for mal, malpractice many times. Yeah. That is one issue. But I said, I tell you, each one of the medicines that I that they put in my body with the chemotherapy have a different price in the United States. Uh, another thing that I that I have to add, yes, uh, we don't have affordable health care, but besides that, I see a lot of red tape in the United States. I have to be honest with you. People try to help me with MD Anderson. MD Anderson talked to me many times, yeah. but this is interesting. I have to repeat over and over the same situation to MD Anderson. No, I do not qualify for Medicaid. Why? Because, you know, we're middle class and my husband is an attorney and all that. Yeah. And But I do not have insurance. No, I don't have insurance. But they wanted, once I have all my all my studies in Mexico because we were trying to see if I could come to Houston. But to be honest with you, it takes me the same time to fly to Houston or to fly to Mexico City from here, from Austin, on regards of timing. And it's a lot cheaper if I am staying or, or, the, or whoever is accompanying me. You have to rent an apartment because mm -hmm. you don't live there. As I say, I am from Mexico, but my house in Mexico is in Puebla, two and a half hours away and I have to be traveling back and forth. Um, sometimes it's, it takes more time because two and a half hours when you don't have traffic. But at the same time, um, I have to say the red tape with, with MD Anderson that I wanted, every single paper that I have, every analysis uh, have to be translated by a, a professional translator from Spanish to English. Even though I'm a translator, you have yeah. to have a license to 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 yeah. have that one translated, and then all that paperwork. And I said, "What a minute! The clock is ticking. My life is on the stake. I, I cannot do this with MD Anderson because if I do this, first of all, I have to spend the money on the translation work. I have to do all this red tape, and my life. I I, I need to have the care now." In this very moment, in this moment, you, you are doing whatever you can to fight for your life. And I just thought, absolutely, I trust the Mexican doctors, one of the best, Dr. Witzel, my, my oncologist, um, uh, and, and my surgeon, Dr. Chan, and everyone, the medical staff, the nurses, um, everyone was uh, so kind. So the treat, the treatment was first class, first world treatment. I will not deny that. But still, you know, uh, you go in levels and all that. And, and at the same time, I said, uh, we didn't have the, the the money and I was nervous about it. Um, and, and, and it is worth it to fight for my life if they already told me this is pal pal palliative care, that I'm, I'm going to die anyway. I was trying to, I was doing research about what is the death of somebody who died with pancreatic cancer? Uh, I have never seen somebody die of pancreatic cancer. I saw somebody die of liver cancer and it's a painful death. And I, I just was worried about so many, so many things um, with, with the cancer um, affects families, affects relationships. As I said, uh, my husband had to fly back and forth. It's not like he didn't want to be with me all the time. It's like he needed to work to make money, of course, and, 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 and I was away from him and I needed him and whatever if I die when he's gone. Um, so, so I have, it, there is a lot of stress. Uh, I always ask people, if you are married with somebody who has cancer, uh, please understand that, that you are full of fears. You are fearing death and, and there is friction sometimes, 
Um, but everybody in my family was very patient with me and very loving. And I, I'm grateful that I'm still here, but I don't know how long I'm going to be here because as, as, as you know, um, there is a recurrence on, on many cases. And in my case, as I said, only 23% will survive the surgery that I had back in June for five, uh, over five years. Yeah. It's powerful. Powerful what you just said uh, about the family dynamic. And, and that was a question that I have here that this is a good segue to. So you mentioned you had family, you had your brother come down with you, you had family down in Mexico, your kids, the the dynamic. Um, not that you can, and they're not on the podcast, so this is not a fair question, but the one question I do want to ask you and, and, and fair question in sense of like, how did that feel for them? Because we don't, they're not on the podcast, right? And we can't assume and make assumptions, but we know it's hard. We know it's hard, right? Um, for all those that have been there in the caregiver position, um, it's awful. It's awful to see people that you love and you're loved by many people uh, within your family and friends to, to go through that, right? But the question that I love asking, and I, I think is so beneficial that when we ask survivors this question is, and, and it could be someone in the family, a friend, um, maybe there's an example that you can give that was, what's something that was so meaningful during that time that someone did for you, a friend or a family member? Because the question that we get always here, and I think just by humans, we don't know, right? And so is, hey, I've got a friend who just got diagnosed with pancreatic cancer. What's the best thing I can do for them? And sometimes, you know, people will, you know, send food, they'll send money, they'll, you know, they'll call up and talk about the cancer and maybe that's not the best thing to do, right? And so people, and, and then the other thing that happens that I see too is people go away because they don't know what to do. Oh yes. Right. They don't know you, how to. You find out who your true friends are. Correct. Yes. Right. Like they don't know, it, and and there's good and bad in that. In the sense that I think some people just don't a don't want to deal with it. Maybe from a personal perspective, maybe they've gone through it and they don't want to relive it, or they don't know what to do. Right. They're like almost paralyzed in the sense, like, what do I do for my friend who's been diagnosed with pancreatic cancer? So my question to you is, just to summarize again, because I talked a little bit beyond that, was. What's kind of the best advice or the best thing that a family or friend did for you during that journey that you could maybe recommend for someone listening? Maybe someone out there has a friend that just was diagnosed and what would be the best advice to them to say that they could do for their friend that's battling pancreatic cancer? So many things. I could not say only one, to be honest with you, because people were involved in many ways. Um, let's uh, let's just start with my family. With my family, I can say my mom, my mom is in her late 70s, and she is not a total healthy person. But to see my mom coming up and downstairs to bring me something to eat, because when you are receiving fulfurinox, it's like, I say in Spanish, you are like a um, araña fumigada, which is like a fumigated ant. Uh, no, a spider. Like when you fumigate a, a, a spider and, and she's dying of the fumigation, you come out of a fulfilling ox and, and they will bring dragging me inside of my mom's home. And if the neighbors didn't know what I what was happening with me, they probably thought I probably was drunk or whatever because they have to take me out of the car to get me in, in her home. So um, she was kind in, in serving me uh, some food. And uh, even though she is an older woman, um, my 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 brother and my sister as well, um, 
they took from from their jobs time to be with me. Uh, luckily, because of the pandemic, in a way, my my brother could work remotely, so he could move all his. He traveled with three uh, monitors of computers and installed himself there, so he could be close uh, with me. Um, uh, my my son coming from 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 Japan, and and he had a strict, very strict. Um, quarantine rules, but he still did it that way. Um, and, and my husband going back and forth, even with his job, he said he never spent so much time in Mexico going back and forth. Um, <laughs> but people, uh, just a text that you that you say that you care, a WhatsApp, a text, uh, a message is important. And, and the thing is this, sometimes um, people think that if you don't have a lot of money to give away, then you rather don't give anything. And to be honest with you, that's what I would like everybody to understand that you have a friend that has cancer, most likely he or she has a financial need. And you maybe don't have $500 to give or 400 or 300 or even 100. But so many people, because they don't have that amount, they rather don't give. Give whatever you can. I have people who gave $5, $25, $20 to whatever amount that you can. It helps a little to, to buy one medicine, to buy... Uh, everything you have to pay. You have to pay for the needle that goes into your catheter. You have to pay for every, everything they count it when, when you are taking receiving medical care. And and I think um, I can advise to, to ask how you can help and to do not get mad if you don't hear back from the sick person. Because many times uh, we have a, a Karen Bridge uh, account um, mm-hmm. portal where not only me, but my husband, my children, my brother, my 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 good friends were writing on my behalf. This is what happened, like an update, and and let the people know if I don't respond to your kindness of your cars, I am very grateful because sometimes you don't want to talk with anybody. I didn't want to talk during the fulfilling acts time much, and I didn't want to talk after my surgery. My surgery was very invasive and very very hurtful. And I barely could walk and I have to exercise walking. So try to understand that we're still human and we don't feel well. Um, but I just will say, just be patient with those people and be patient with the people who are relatives of somebody that has cancer. Sometimes it's better to don't be calling all the time on the phone, but just write a note and wait until they can answer. Because uh, like I have an aunt who loves to call all the time and ask how I was doing but my mother needed to rest in that moment. So I I just think that those things can happen and and just be kind and be patient with with the person, be understanding and uh, your little help with the with the help of other little helps become a great help for a cancer patient. It's awesome. Um, one piece that I know wasn't mentioned, you have mentioned a little bit of family history. You said, I believe it was your uncle who was uh, battling liver cancer. Genetic cousin, cousin, that's right. Um, Family history with any cancers that you were aware of? Yeah, he was the only one on regards of that type of cancer, but I did have um, my dad's side, an uncle that just developed cancer, um, but a different type of cancer. But no, pancreatic cancer was never uh, on the family. And we did the genetic test, uh, you know, that they do for pancreatic. I was going to ask, yeah. Hospital in... And they they say uh, that your family members can 
it results to be uh, genetic. Your family members can do the test as well. I have asked my my siblings and my children to get tests. It's interesting. One of the comments that I like to make with people is, you know, those people who have insurance in the United States, the women are required to have a year uh, um, breast scan for for breast cancer. You have to have the that type of scan because they want to discard that you have breast cancer. And I was thinking, why if pancreatic cancer or colorectal cancer is more dangerous or more terminal, if I want to put it away, than breast cancer, why people are not required to have a MRI every year right there in that area of the body? I know that there is a cost but we know is as I say, you cannot deceive me because you cannot deceive my husband, who knows the cost of every single thing on healthcare in America, and why they don't try to save people's lives by having a regular scan. If I had been scanned years before, we we could maybe detect it early, you know, or and, and early detection on your dad or another persons, you know. And if you think about it in theory. If you get someone in an earlier stage, the cost of that care goes down, right? Because it's not an aggressive cancer and you're not treating, you know, so yeah, it's, it, it, you know, you bring up a great point, you know, and, and that's something, you know, I don't, I mean, I guess I can give my theory on it is that, you know, insurance won't pay for it. Right. Um, which, yes. you know, and, and we talked about like the difference in, you know, cost, you know, where, how is a medication in Mexico, you know, that much less than it is in the United States. And, and, and I'm sure our audience listening at home or wherever you're listening, you know, has seen the 60 minutes where people, you know, insulin, you know, for diabetics, right. You know, you can go across the border in Mexico and you can purchase for, for like $3 where, you know, here in the United States, what did it spike to like 150 bucks a vial or something yes. like that? You know, so how is that? And it's the same, you mean to tell me it's the same drug? Like how, how is that? Is. Yeah. Like, but so how is that economically feasible? Right? Like I know we live in a capitalist country, but like at the end of the day, shouldn't whoever the governing body is control that, right? Whether that's the insurance company, whether it's the government, you know, I'm not here to debate that. That's not the point of the, the but there is, there is a, a glaring issue, right? Like there's an issue here with drugs and treatments and if you can go to another country, get the same exact quality of care, the same type of care, identical, let's say, but it's going to cost you a fraction of the cost. Why is that? Their system is broken, right? And if people are dying and people are suffering, then I, I think collectively as a as a humanity, as a as a community, like we need to we need to make that an issue. Right, like that. Yes, that, that's I think it's not important right. what you are pointing. It is not right, and I have said before. Okay, I'm a middle class American, which right now I have been affected because I have a medical debt, and I yeah. don't like to have that. But I'm not asking for free no healthcare. I want affordable, affordable. healthcare, the real affordable. Because um, even in Mexico, to be honest with you, it was not that affordable. Because I say even it was expenses. Um, but but yeah, it, it, they saved my life. Well, there's a cost to all treatments, right? But yes. to your point, you know, to echo this is like we, we've got to find middle ground. And I, I think collectively, hopefully, the audience listening, wherever they're listening, gets this point that like you know that's something that I know we've talked about uh, here 
briefly on the podcast, I think us as an organization, and, I, and I'll speak as an organization, I can't speak for the the space in terms of pancreatic cancer because there's, there's 94 groups in the world, but I can speak for us. I think we need to do a better job, you know, here yeah. m- making that message. You know, we do have a patient aid program, but I do think there's a discrepancy uh, in quality of care here in the United States, um, throughout the world. But also, um, there's a bigger challenge, like I said, with this financial piece that we see every day with patients applying for aid. That maybe we can do a, a better job of messaging and, and hopefully working with some of our partners that are larger in the space to potentially, you know, amplify that messaging and make that a, a bigger issue and a bigger challenge, um, yes. it, which would benefit patients and families battling regardless of your financial status, right? And that that's the kind of crazy thing. And I, I know I saw that. I saw that kind of firsthand when my dad was going through it because clearly we were benefiting from my dad's work. In the terms of that, we ha- we didn't have those concerns, but as you know, when you go into the clinic, you know there's there's people from all walks of life, and there were people in there that I know firsthand that weren't able to have the resources that my dad had because of a financial strife, uh, because yes. of poor insurance, or because of you know something that. Uh, you know, prevented them. You know, the other the other piece to this, and and not to go down another rabbit hole, you know, but is how you know, and I think this is such a complex discussion, and maybe needed for another podcast, uh, which is a good thing because this is how we we help to raise awareness. Right? Is let's talk about these things, let's bring them out to the open, let's have healthy discussions, as we were saying before we started recording. Right? I think the country in the United States we lack that. Right? We lack that right yes. now politically. Like we can't have healthy discussions on anything. It's either it's either one extreme or the other extreme. We can't have these discussions. But you know, as the insurance piece of this, right? Like these insurance companies and and like you were saying MRI. Like okay, so to your point in early detection have everyone do an MRI. Well, insurance won't pay for it, right? Like that's just not part of the protocol. And why is that? You know, I don't have the answer to that, but you know, we have this imaging technology and I guess, you know, there could be something scientific. I'm not an expert on this where, you know, you shouldn't do so many tests, CT scans, you know, over a certain amount of years because of the the the, the imaging, the dyes that are used and, you know, the, the uh, radiation potentially within the, the, the uh, you know, the, uh, the, the testing that's done potentially and what that means to the body long-term, but there's gotta be some in between, right? And I know we, we, we are heavily invested in some early detection stuff. And, and one of the protocols is to rotate an MRI with an endoscopic ultrasound because that's the only ways to really go down and see the pancreas, right? To look at the pancreas. So there are ways of doing it. Um, you know, and, and and that early detection piece is done with a very specific group of people that are high risk that have a genetic mutation. So it's not a general population, uh, but those people are at higher risk. So we do know that um, not all of them, but a, but a higher percentage potentially will get the disease. So, you know, maybe there's something that comes out of that, hopefully that, you know, pushes insurance companies to, you know, make this more mainstream for everyone. Or if you feel that you, uh, you know, you know, require the testing um, because you and your doctor agree that it's the right test to have, then it shouldn't be a burden, you know, financially or from the insurance company to deny that request, right? Um, So yeah, it's a complex, super complex subject 
that you just gave me the idea to, to have a podcast on it. So I probably will come back to you and we will specifically talk about healthcare and how, how maybe we can kind of move the needle on that. Um, yes, you know, and, and Dogavin can help you also a lot of that. One of the things that I can, that I can mention is I believe that um, in free market, because when we have competing, but if we have more people competing and no one monopolizes, then, then that's a competition on, on the cost. And, and is, is big pharma exists in the United States and we need to call it what it is, is big pharma. And even with, um, I do believe, because what I took as an alternative is actually medicine. It's not something weird, but it's no medicine that has been approved by the FDA um, for human consumption, uh, which is the one for humans is called membendazole, but the one for, for veterinary use is called fembendazole. And I did use an alternative too. Uh, and I'm gonna say that it was all the alternative. No, as I said, I it could be a combination of everything, but I did whatever I feel peace in my heart that it was not affecting me so, so I could save my life. But I just think that because there is so much control, even when there is research going on, somebody else does not like that that research advance because if it advances, then it may be a loss on their income for whatever they sell or they produce for yeah. patients. Yeah. And, and that's the truth. I mean, it's the bottom line, right? Like money drives everything, right? So, yes, money so, drives everything. On that note, and that was my, it's a great segue here. The alternative treatment that you did, as you said, you combined it with, and we've had plenty of podcast guests uh, that have gone the alternative route. And we okay. love sharing that because, you know, I've always said, you know, with this disease, there is not, and the audience at home knows this, there is not one size fits all. And even any clinician, if they say this works for everyone, that walk out of the room and go find a new clinician because yes. that is not the truth. We know with this disease, with pancreatic cancer, some treatments work really well. Like you said, Flufluronox. I, I know people that do very well on Flufluronox and we've had them on the podcast and other people, like we've had people, I, I know people personally, like they've had loved ones, they do one round and they're done. Like they get so yes. sick, they check oh, out. Yes, they're and done. you feel like you need to give up, it's horrible. And, and they have awful side effects, right? So th th there's not, one size fits all for everyone, right? And so th this topic of alternatives is important. And I, I love sharing these because, you know, there might be someone out there listening that might need to, to go down that path. Uh, our job here is not to uh, be the judge. We just put the content out there, right? And what's worked for you may work for someone else. I know we've had a gentleman on, uh, you know, it was one of our, our most popular podcasts and he talked about similar route. Like he was doing a very traditional route. He added some alternatives and, you know, he's still alive five years later where, you know, he was stage four and, you know, his odds were, were really, really low. So Can you recall what alternative was that? Um, I don't, uh, but he did kind of an alternative along with the traditional, but it was kind of supervised by the traditional oncologist. Um, gentleman's name was Glenn Gaither, uh, who lives out in the Pacific Northwest. And, you know, he, they, they supplemented this program and this regimen into his traditional chemotherapy regimen. Um, and he's living a great life. He was a big runner and now he's still back to running. I think now he's actually running for political office in, 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 in Washington state. So he got involved politically was his last update for me. But so going back to your situation, 
How did you learn? I'd love to share with you, like, how did you learn about the treatment? And then just if we want to just talk a little bit about how the treatment was supplemented with your traditional, you know, yeah, alternatives. Yeah. Okay. So believe it or not, um, it was suggested to me by a political friend of mine that is a nurse and is married with a um, uh, retired medical doctor. So this is a nurse and a doctor who will never thaw about this, but because they have a ranch and they have animals and they have a lot of friends who are also ranchers, they knew about people who have been doing this with pancreatic cancer with good results. My husband and I call, it is called the Joe Tippens. Joe, and then Tippens is T-I-P-P-E-N. And um, and the main, the main um, ingredient of that protocol is Fembendazole, which is their real name, but is Panacor by Merck. And it's um, a dewormer. Uh, don't confuse with other dewormers that they are advising for something else. This is a, a dewormer for, for cattle, for horses. Apparently, all those people in the ranches that they, when they were treating all their horses or their cattle for, for um, to dewarm to, 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 to them, um, and if one of them have cancer, suddenly the cancer was disappearing with this, and that's how they start finding up. And for in America, they have approved membendazole, but no fembendazole has not been approved. So it's just um, some people take it with a pill. And in my case, I took the liquid form and I was putting one teaspoon in my juice in the morning with my breakfast and another one in my in my evening dinner. And I, I took that with uh, one peel of curcumin and one peel of milk thistle. The milk thistle um, uh, protects the, the liver. Now, many people have other variations of this protocol. I have to say those are the three things that I've been taking all this time. It never gave me any type of side effect or anything bad. Some people sometimes feel like their stomach gets a little bit sick in the beginning. But that's what I did. That is exactly the Joe Tipping. He has a website that is called My Cancer Story Rocks, mycancerstoryrocks.com, I believe. And um, and I did said that I did it alongside. I, I always did what my doctor said regarding chemotherapy, radiotherapy. Um, they knew about my um, curcumin and my and my and they knew about my. Milk thistle, they did not know about the, they didn't know about the panacur. I was a little bit reluctant to, to mention it because I was like, what about if they dropped me um, doing the others? And, and many other people know, but but uh, that's done. And I have the surgery, my, my, my tumor shrunk and is gone. And I am very grateful that it's gone. And I... I do think that people have to do a lot of research in any alternative they do. I decided to do research in a couple of them. The other one that I did a research that I never did, but I was very encouraged and motivated to do it if I have no progress, was um, the Cuban um, uh, blue scorpion. Do you ever hear about that one? The blue no, scorpion? Um, no. And I have heard about mistletoe um, and other things. There are people who do uh, melatonin. I I have to say, I take melatonin to go to, to sleep. And many people take high doses of, of uh, melatonin to to for cancer, but I just use it so I can go to sleep well. But I also take that um, 
but because I wanted to sleep well. So those are the things that I, the extra things I remove. Um, I don't eat uh, any meat from pigs or uh, red meat, but I have some chicken back in my diet because for a while I was a pescatarian and a lot mm-hmm. of fish and a lot of greens. And I try to avoid sugars, which is very difficult because you know that a person that is addicted to sugar, sugar is more addictive than cocaine. That's what they say. But um, I try to do not have, I test my my blood yeah. um, every day in my finger to make sure that, uh, because when you don't have a pancreas, you can become diabetic. diabetic I too. have the head of the, of the, of the pancreas. So I am pre-diabetic, but I test my sugar every day. That's what I do. It's fascinating. And, and I appreciate you yes. sharing all that information. I mean, I think, uh, you know, again, as I said, like our job here is to share, um, and that's what we love doing. And I think, you know, for audience listening home, um, we're not scientists, we're not doctors, but you know, the journeys that people have been on, the things that have helped them get through that. And, and I say help, you know, we've talked a lot about faith, family, um, you know, science, diet, alternatives, all this stuff adds up. And I guess as an expert in talking to survivors, I, I, I guess I shouldn't call myself an expert because that sounds kind of arrogant. But I mean, this is, uh, you know, this podcast, we've had almost 200 episodes and I've talked to, you know, probably wow. 70 to 100 survivors. And so wow. there's a common theme you know, um, when people start talking about, you know, faith, which you've mentioned, uh, quite a bit, uh, you talk about support, uh, family, friends, you talk about alternatives and diet and exercise. Like, so there, there, there's ways, you know, that I've seen that are common themes, as I've said, you know, from talking to so many survivors that you've mentioned, um, I want to shift gears and I I just have a couple questions left and then we're going to provide our audience where to connect with you. But, um, my second to last question, and you mentioned this, is, and I know you've talked about faith a lot, and this kind of goes into that. Um, and as a, as a child, um, I was born, uh, you know, my parents were immigrants to the country in 1968 from Italy. Faith was just such a big part of my growing up, the Roman Catholic faith for that. And um, you talked about planning your funeral. And that, yeah, and and that was like when we, when you were telling your journey, that was almost like a tipping point. Yes or no? Because I, maybe just in the way I was doing my notes, like that was like you said you started to plan your funeral, but then after that, things started to kind of go in the right direction in terms of, you know, the degree, the, the disease regressing, being able to have surgery, and then now here you are. But can you can you talk a little bit about that experience? I mean, was that, I mean, that's kinda, I can't fathom, uh, cause it, it's something that for me is, I guess, foreign in a way, but that had to be really difficult. Very difficult. Yeah, I cry, I cry a lot when I was alone. Um, in my bed, there were nights that, that my husband could not be there. As I mentioned to you, he had to travel. Um, and, and I have a favorite verse. Um, well, many favorite verses in the Bible, but, uh, one in the book of Philippians is for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. So if I live, I live for Christ to honor Jesus, who is my Lord. Um, but if I'm going to die, I knew that I would be in heaven with him because he died on the cross for my sins. And I was very 
sure of that, what he did for me on the cross. But at the same time, I also was praying many Bible verses that uh, Rafael Cruz have shared with me about assurance that he will heal me. But I just knew that God was in control of my life. Um, I grew up a Roman Catholic, and then I became an evangelical Christian in my teenage years. And I love my Roman Catholic family. My my mother is Catholic, and my uh, many people in my family and many others are evangelical. And it, for me, it was important that we will be united on the fact that God was in total control. I spoke on the funeral of my cousin when he passed away uh, with all of us uh, in February of 2021. Colleen, um, we talk about our I have to, we talk about incineration. I bought my box for my ashes. Uh, my mother has it in her home. I bought uh, little things from Israel, little crosses to be filled with ashes for my husband and my two kids. Um, I talk about the messages. I mentioned to you the importance of being united, even though we don't have the same religion, um, it, to be united, even if we don't belong at the same party or we're not, you know, um, because I saw so much division, I just, it just all this was happening to me in the middle of a pandemic, a worldwide pandemic, and in the middle of the most divisive elections in the history of the United States when I work in politics. So for me, that affected me personally. And I thought uh, I wanted to leave that message. I, I recorded a video. I sing a song. I invite people to sing in the funeral. They, the whole program is done. Who is going to speak? The pastors that are going to speak, the people that they're going to share. As I mentioned, the MC, Rosario Marin, all that. Because I knew uh, that if I would die back then, it would be an online funeral because everybody was just doing everything online because of the pandemic. And it would be at the same time easy. My son being in Japan, he could participate with the people who were in America and the people who were in Mexico and all that. Um, but it was scary. I cried many times and I uh, I was afraid of the pain that I was having and that I was asking to my mom, to my children and my husband, if I die, I grow down. You need to take care. All of us have to do it at a certain point. I think all of us have to take care of our will and write down what you desire so there are not problems. Um, not because I am leaving a lot of stuff. It's not, I'm not an extra wealthy person, but I, I, I have to take care of that. My name, my name, I have uh, a legal name in the United States and a legal name as a Mexican. So for me, it was important that if, if I die in Mexico, they knew that this person could die. Is the same person because my name uh, has a different last name. I have my maiden name as a Mexican, Adriana Herrera Brito. Um, another thing that I did that I forgot to mention is uh, because I, I did not qualify back then for the surgery, I signed papers to donate my body to science. And I uh, signed the papers with the Universidad Autónoma de Mexico, the university in Mexico, for a, a specific research for pancreatic cancer. And um, and I did it through Mexico for two reasons, not only because I was there, but because if you donate your body in the United States as a body donor, they can use your body to whatever they decide in any way that they want it. But in Mexico, in the University um, of Mexico, you can specify what do you, why do you wanna donate your body? And my number one priority was pancreatic cancer. I wanted uh, the doctors and the medical students 
to to number one thing is if I die because I have pancreatic cancer, they need to go and target use whatever they need to use if I can help for the research of pancreatic cancer. And I did that. Um, now I don't have a pancreas. I have a head of a pancreas, so I don't know how that will work out because I signed out those yeah. papers, but they are signed out that. And your body has to be immediately after you die, they need to yeah, uh, they you. need to take care of the body and, yeah. and donate it to, to that. Yeah. Wow. Thank you for sharing that because I know that's probably not easy to relive, um, but it's powerful for me yes. to hear and, and to share with our audience. My last question here for you. Yes. And and we always say the, the hardest question for the end. Um, there's no right or wrong to this answer that you'll give us. Um, and this is really just your interpretation. How do you define the word pancreatic cancer in your experience? Wow. In one word, I can't, but it, I could do it in a phrase, right? Yeah, I absolutely. think it's, it's heaven and hell. And the reason is because it's heaven when you realize and you see how many people love you demonstrate their love towards you and even people that you didn't know because people who didn't have met me in person show that they care but hell is the physical pain that you go through the emotional pain that you go through and also the disappointments that you go through finding out that there were people that you thought that they cared that at the end of the day didn't care but you can live with it. I'm just saying it's painful because you were expecting um, so-and-so to show that they care. They did it. So that's how, that's how I would define it, heaven and hell based on that, because um, you have a lot of blessing um, in seeing so much love and care for those who care and so much pain. Um, and the pain also came also with the disappointments that we have to see, the awful um and broken, you use the word properly, the broken healthcare system that we have in the United States of America. Adriana, this has been um, pretty special for me uh, to be able to share your journey. And I wanna thank you for your openness and for all you're doing to help raise awareness for this disease, um, not only in your community, but globally, um, you know, being from Mexico, um, you know, we have shared a lot of stories on this podcast and, and, you know, the one thing that, um, you know, this is not a white person's disease. And I, I think here in the United States, um, a lot of diseases for that matter, right. Get labeled as, uh, oh, this just impacts white people, white old people. Right. But that's not the case. People of color, um, you know, get impacted by this disease as much as people that are white, Caucasians, right? It's And, and actually it's more. It's 51% people of color to 49% people wow. that, that are Caucasian. So, you know, your messaging and what you're doing is really, really important. So I just wanna thank you for uh, giving us the opportunity here at Project Purple and me the opportunity to share your journey. It's been amazing and a blessing to meet you. Um, I know we've talked a couple times uh, before recording and uh, I, um, 
I can't thank you enough to to have this opportunity to share your journey. And and I'm looking forward to following your journey and hopefully working with you more and more in the future as we both try to, you know, better the system and help people and uh, hopefully put an end to this thing called pancreatic cancer. So thank you. Yes, thank you. And I appreciate the time that you gave me to share with your audience. Um, in spite of my accent, uh, I I want to spell my name because that's how they can contact me. If they know how to spell my name properly, is Adriana is A V as in dog R Robert Y A Apple and Nancy A Apple. And my last name is Aldine A Apple L D Doc E Eagle E Eagle and Nancy Aldine. And if you put it as a at Adriana Aldin, you can follow me on Twitter, on Instagram. You can follow me on Facebook. And my email is my name, Adriana at adrianaldin.com. Awesome. Thank you, Adriana, for being a guest on the Project Purple Podcast. <laughs> oh, thank you. That's a wrap of another episode of the Project Purple Podcast. If you like what you hear today, please feel free to follow us wherever you listen to podcasts. Feel free to share this podcast. And until next time, please be safe. Thanks for listening and have a great day. Beep.